Hi everybody, it is Dr. Amanda White here and it is Thursday the 25th of October. And this is Dr. Nelson Ma and welcome to Count Me In, a weekly podcast that provides an accounting perspective on business news from Australia and around the world. We just did our intro in one take. Yes. Yay. Very Best exciting. time. <laughs> Best yeah. time. Okay. That's <laughs> awesome. Time. So, uh, uh, you know, it only took us, are we up to episode four or five? Five. 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 I just noticed yeah. our show notes say four yeah, yeah, on there. So we're five episodes in. Yes. This is really good. Great. How are you doing this week, Nelson? I'm I'm great. Yeah, I'm great. I'm just like a lot of, lot of admin stuff in terms of teaching, sort of getting, putting together marks, sort of making sure everything's sort of running well for students coming up to the exam. It's nice not to have to go to class, but I sort of miss them a little bit. Yeah, because, yeah, I'm at this point where I'm like, oh, I haven't, I haven't been to class in over a week. And I'm like, this is, <laughs> this is strange. This is strange. Like, I'm wondering how they're doing now. Oh, well, I have a feeling that uh, mine are doing pretty good. I've been chatting with them on Facebook, and we had Facebook Live this morning. Yep. Uh, so they're all doing okay, and we've got, I've got weeks till my exam, so they're all surviving, <laughs> I think, at this point. My yeah. accounting B students... Potentially not so much. They're a little bit more freaked out, but they're still in first year, so I can understand that they're still a bit concerned about university exams. Yeah. So let's look at the markets this week. How are things looking? Okay, so um, gold this week is uh, currently at 1748 Australian dollars per ounce. So on yesterday, it was up about $6.78. The Australian to US dollar... um, down again. Yeah, one Australian no. dollar only buys you 70.58 US cents. Oy. Oil is down. It's currently trading at 77.82 US mm-hmm. Australian dollars per gallon, and this is Malaysian Tapas crude. And the All Lords Index is also down. It's currently trading at 5,926.5. So things are just, I guess we're slowly slipping down a gentle decline. It's, so we're not on the roller coaster well, down yet. Yeah, it's, well, it's getting, everyone's expecting it to get pretty bad. Like, um, just this morning, there were articles um, talking about the ASX expecting, like, this huge drop in the market. Like, right. we're talking 1%, 2%. So, yeah, we can, we've seen um, So don't gold. cash in your superannuation anytime soon because no, the market's yeah. not looking so great. Yeah, so basically we see gold go up. Mm-hmm. So obviously companies and investors are worried about uh, the market because mm-hmm. they're putting their money in gold. The Australian dollar is down, and that's largely driven by the U.S. stock market not doing too well, uh, poor U.S. home sales data. Yeah, so generally... U.S. real estate data hasn't been great for a no, while, right? Like, yeah, ever since if, the GFC, it never really... Ever since the global financial crisis, they've never, <laughs> they've never recovered. It never really recovered, right? Yeah. And the markets, yeah, they're down over a hundred points, and so we can we're going to see more of this because as, um, as uh, it's earnings season right now in uh, both Australia and the US. Mm-hmm. And remember, for listeners, US earnings are released quarterly. Yes. Whereas we only have ours every six months, but we have obviously the full year results yes. are about now. We'll have our half year results in March, yeah. except for a few firms that are on slightly different schedules. Yeah. But the US has quarterly returns. Yeah. So, so the US, um, their, I think annual reporting date for a lot of them would be 30th of March or 30th of September. Mm-hmm. So a lot of firms are currently reporting their uh, final quarter earnings. 
So there was poor earnings results from AT&T and Texas Instruments. Even though there were good results in Boeing, I think the overall market sentiment is that things aren't going too well. It doesn't help, I guess, in the US. They've got, I think, one and a half to maybe two weeks to their midterm elections. There's lots of discussions I just saw on the news this morning that Trump promised a 10% tax cut without actually consulting the party. And the party has gone, I don't know anything about this, but uh, apparently the top tax guy for the GOP has said if they win the House and the Senate, um, they're going to go forward with this 10% tax cut, which is aimed at middle Americans. Have they already cut tax? They, no, they cut tax for the rich. They cut tax for rich. All so those... they, cut a, they gave a tax cut already to the very rich, the billionaires club. So they gave a tax cut that affected something like less than 1% of the population, yeah. the people that Trump is especially friends with. Yep. Now I guess they're very concerned about losing the midterm elections. Yeah. And they're trying to, you know, Democrats are obviously scrambling after Hillary's loss and they thought they had it in the bag. So I think there's, there's a lot of people who are very concerned because Trump has taken traditional foreign policy for the US and turned it on its head. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, there's the trade war with China. There is now a caravan of Honduran uh, migrants, migrants yes. or refugees heading towards the US border, and yep. he's taken a very strong stance on that. Yep. Um, he's not a fan of migration. No. Um, and he uses the word nationalist. Yes. Uh, and I think I saw on Stephen Colbert, the reason that you don't use the word nationalist is it's the second half of the word white nationalist. Yes. Um, and they're going into a very protectionist mode. You know, they they cancelled the NAFTA, which is the North American Free yeah. Trade Agreement. He reconstituted it as something else, yeah. um, which really puts America first and says to the hell with the rest of the world. So we're all... Waiting, yeah. And I guess the direction in which Australia goes yeah. is very interesting. We had this week news that the Australian embassy in Israel, I think, is planning to move to Jerusalem. Yes, following the US. Following the US. Um, we've had the Liberal Party defeated in the seat of Wentworth, so Dr. Yes. Karen Phelps, the independent. So we're currently ha- we currently have a minority government. Minority government. So, so we don't know whether anything's going to get done. People yeah. are concerned that Scott Morrison is a bit of an evangelical Christian. There's been lots of discussion about religion and politics and how that plays in. So I think there's uncertainty in the market. Yeah, huge amount of political uncertainty. Due to politics wherever you are, and that's got to be of concern to the market because you don't know what's going to happen Yeah, and there's no real certainty. Yeah, and even just globally in Europe, you see this like this this sort of... Brexit? uh, Brexit, you see like this this sort of surge in this populist movement which Mm. is putting together, you know, putting sort of far-right sort of leaders into power. And the internet hasn't helped. Social media hasn't helped. No, it has not at all. In that instance, Facebook says it's trying to do more to stop fake news, but I don't know whether... You can or not. Yeah. Um, especially when it comes to the fake news media. Yes, yeah, start to verify. But yeah, so therefore we're seeing a, a, probably a slump in the market. What is probably going to be one of the, the biggest slumps um, in, in more recent times. And because, look, we look at property, auction clearances are down to, I think, 51%. Yeah, well, they're expecting it to hit as low as 30%. 30%? Oh, God, glad I'm not moving. Levels. I've just put in a pool, swimming pool, so there's no way I'm selling my oh, house. Yeah. Anytime that's, soon. That'd be a, yeah. Uh, there's no way I'm taking a job in another city because I can't afford to sell my house in Sydney. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I was looking at statistics today, and 
there's numbers as high as 15, 20% of people, if they sold their houses now, they, they would lose money on it. They'd still have money owing. They would still have money owing. Basically. Potentially. They're, That's going to be really dangerous. Yeah. And so we're going to see a lot of this sort of economic uncertainty in Australia over the next Do you think that's going to hit employment and unemployment? Job growth seems to be, you know, okay. Job growth is pretty good. So I think it's going to, it's not going to improve by any more, by any means. I don't know how to what extent. So it's it'll just be belt tightening, I guess. What we'll see in the market is people being more cautious about spending discretionary funds. So I guess we would expect to see perhaps lower spending coming up to Christmas. Yeah. Uh, which is going to definitely affect the Australian retail sector. Yeah. Um, which is and you know, really I'm super organised. I have already bought all of my Christmas stuff. Mm. I actually use. AliExpress, which is the Chinese version of eBay. Yeah. And you can buy things a whole lot cheaper if you're organized, and yeah. then you have them shipped. It takes months. It takes it, it takes like 30 to 40 days to get here. Yeah. But I'm pretty organized for my kids. I'm pretty strict. We get one gift from Santa, yeah. one gift from us, and that's it. We only <laughs> have two gifts. I'm not solid. one of these parents that packs 20 gifts yeah. under the tree. Yeah, yeah. We only do one gift each. Yep. And then I get them, you know, at the moment I'm buying, you know, craft activities and stuff to keep them organized and interested. Yeah. Um, yep. So, yeah. So we're going to see um quite a bit of uh, uncertainty in the market and housing is going to get considerably worse in the in the coming months with Sydney leading the way. So if you're looking um, to buy, now's the time to save and wait. Yeah. All right, save your deposit. We're now at a stage where and, well, even uh, off-the-plan apartments, some are saying that you can probably buy off-the-plans for below cost because ooh. of the risk because there's so, there was so much development like yep. two or three years ago yep. and they're really starting to come onto plan now. Well, look, we had big changes no as well in foreign investment oh. rules. Yep. The federal government is looking at increasing the amount of tax property holders who are foreign nationals will have yes. to pay. So that's really going to start biting in terms of oversupply. And there are some yeah, markets absolutely. that are pretty bad. Brisbane, yeah. you know, you don't want to be... Well, look, if you bought an apartment in Brisbane in the last two years, you're not going to see much growth. Yeah, so pretty flat. I think. Um, it's, I don't think it's as bad in terms of price drops as what Sydney and Melbourne are experiencing, mm, but it's going to be pretty bad as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we're going to see increased um, uh, tightening of lending. To criteria, criteria um, to individuals and, and couples that want to buy houses because of the, the Banking Royal Commission, mm-hmm. as we know, is continuing. And, and that segues us quite well into our main topic for today, which is auditing um, and, the, and consulting and their role in the Banking Royal Commission. Auditor independence. Auditor, ind- auditor independence, consulting, consultant independence in the Banking Royal Commission. So, let's talk, let's talk about let's start with basics. So just in case you're a an intro or early accounting student, the auditors are the people who check the financial statements yes. to make sure that management are telling the truth. Yes. Because agency theory tells us that management have incentive to make themselves look better over the short term yes. so that they can keep their jobs, they can get bonuses. Yes. So the audit is a really important process yep. as a monitoring control over management. Yep. And it's important that we're independent. Yes, uh, so and I always, independence. Yes, I always use the example, and Nelson, actually, I don't know, Nelson wasn't one of my students. I think he was, he did audit when I was on John, sabbatical. Yeah. When you, no, when you were on uh, maternity leave. I was on maternity leave, sorry. And um, so he didn't have me for audit, but I always tell this story about why we have auditor independence, and it's it's the cuteness of your children. Nelson doesn't have children, but I have no. kids. And you you ask a parent, how cute is your kid? All right, and every oh cutest kid ever. My kid is the most adorable, cutest, most handsome, whatever it might be. Yep. No parent ever says, "Yeah, my child's sort of like the ugly one." 
Or it's this average. He's this one's the average. average one or this one's the ugly one. Yeah. So there's bias there. Yes. And so management, think about management in the same way as a parent and their child as the financial statements. They have this bias to say, of course we're doing a great job. Of course I'm doing a fantastic job. I'm not doing a crappy job at looking after your money. So the auditor needs to be there and we need to be independent and not related to our clients in any way so that we can be objective. Yes. And if you ever do any Googling on the science of beauty, you can actually find that there are mathematical formulas to measure which faces look more beautiful <laughs> than others. Believe it or not, there's a science behind that. And it's really important to have some way to objectively assess whether management is doing the right job. Yep. And that's where auditors come into play. Yes. And that's why the Corporations Act requires publicly listed firms. Absolutely. And also some public unlisted firms and some other organizations or entities to have an independent audit. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, that's a great sort of like overview of the process. So we know that... And we have to be independent by law too. Sorry. Yes. If the auditor is not independent by Australian law and we're found out, yes. there's the possibility that we could be fined. So we actually have to sign a bit of paper, a declaration mm. that says we're independent and we you know, don't have any threats to our independence. So we don't own shares in our client. We don't know somebody. We yes. haven't been with yes. them with a long, for a long time. Yes. We're not acting yes. on their behalf in any way. Yes. So we can see that in auditing the main sort of players, the people who conduct the most number of audits, are the big four accounting firms. Mm -hmm. right? So we're talking about PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers, mm -hmm. uh, Ernest & Young, KPMG, um, Deloitte. Mm -hmm. And they also do a lot of consulting work. So the Banking Royal Commission... So what sort of things are consulting work? Consulting work might be helping do due diligence. Tax. Um, tax. Finding another company to buy, mergers and acquisitions. Yeah, mergers and acquisitions, stuff. all that kind of stuff. So any anything that, any major company decision that, want, that needs to be made, mm -hmm. you can bring in an, an accounting firm to help provide advice on it. Okay. So uh, the Banking Royal Commission... Um, recently unveiled that there was a situation where Allianz, um, which is an insurance company, mm -hmm. their executives brought EY in, Ernest & Young in, which is one of the accounting firms, to rewrite a report that was sent over to APRA. And so this report... APRA, by the way, is our Australian Prudential Regulatory Authority, yes. which is the regulatory authority that's meant to look after all of our financial institutions yes. and make sure they're following our laws. Yes. So basically the police... Yeah, of, the of police the, for, of, financial for financial institutions. Yes. Obviously, the Royal Banking Commission shows that they haven't really been doing a good job. Yeah. <laughs> Policing over the last little while. Yeah. So this report was meant to discuss sort of Allianz's risk policies and how they deal with, with managing sort of uncertainty. And um, this, it was sort of revealed that ex these executives had asked EY for all these changes to the compliance report, even though they had employed them to independently write the report. <laughs> they asked for all these changes oh, because gosh. they thought that the report was very critical of their processes. And as a result, it was questionable whether or not this, this report written by independent mm -hmm. consultants, mm -hmm. i.e. these accounting firms, were in fact um, considered independent and mm. whether or not they could be trusted given the role that these executives play in, in shaping the report. So I guess that's this becomes really, really important mm. because who is checking the auditors and their independence? Now, we know that ASIC have inspections of audits. Yep. And the problem, not the problem with audits, but the issue with audits is that it's a mandatory task yep. that firms have to do and there's very little profit yes. in doing an audit. At PwC, the big four, make very little profit in doing an audit 
but they make much more profit in offering consulting services. Like, like these. Like these. So the incentive is, well, hey, maybe you ignore something in our audit. Maybe you agree to something that you might not agree with mm -hmm. for another client, and we'll throw you some extra consulting services. And this is not a new story. So I can remember this happening once before, at least. In 2001 and 2002, we had the collapse of Enron, mm -hmm. which was a US company. It also caused the downfall of Arthur Anderson, which was an audit firm. Yep. It was one of the big five. So I can remember the big eight. Then we went to the big six. Then we went to the big five. Then we went to the big four. So I worked at one of the big six, which was Coopers and Librand, which then became PricewaterhouseCoopers. And the issue there was that the auditors just said yes to whatever management wanted to earn the consulting fees. Yes. The US implemented the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, which said you can't do consulting and the audit. So they've mm. got very strict rules. And here in Australia, the result was that accounting firms were asked were instructed to sell off their consulting arm. So PwC's consulting arm was sold off yes. to IBM, and the same happened for all yeah, of the well, other Yeah, well, those are recommendations. Firms. Those were recommendations, so, and they all did it. Yeah, so accounting firms um, or auditors can still provide consult, uh, consulting services, but our they have to declare. Don't, yeah, our laws prohibit don't prohibit that But in you do have to declare um, that you're, the advice you provided was yeah. independent. And they were pretty good at keeping separate. A lot of audit firms actually were on the front foot and said, look, We'll provide your consulting or your audit, which would you like us to do? And they self-regulated really well. Yeah. What I've seen in the last 10 years or five years even is that creep. Creep back up. Back to where we were. Yes. Where there's this risk of independence. And that happened in the UK with the Carillion case. So Carillion was a facilities management and construction firm. KPMG was their auditor for 19 years. Mm. Now, here in Australia, we have audit partner rotation over every five to seven yep, years. In the, the US, US, they yeah. have firm rotation over that period. I don't think they... It's not just partner rotation, is it? Just partner? Oh, okay, right. Nelson's shaking his head. I was sure <laughs> in the US partner. they had partner rotation. No, in the EU, EU, it's firm rotation. In the EU, sorry. in Australia sorry. and the US, it's yeah. just uh, partner rotation. And so they were the same auditors for 19 years. They earned significantly more money in consulting fees. And when the firm collapsed... They left 30,000 people out of work and $3 billion worth of unfunded employee entitlements. That's huge. And KPMG was the auditor, EY was the internal auditor, and Deloitte provided them with business advice. So there was different people doing different jobs. Yeah. None of these big four firms said anything. They wanted to keep their meal ticket going. Yes. So there's this self-interest, right? Yeah, um, so we talk about from an ethical perspective, there was clearly self-interest... There was some concern around self-review potentially. With Checking their own work. Over, yeah, over sort of looking at documents that they themselves prepared and auditing those. And, and um, yeah, it seems So like we're having this history is repeating itself, and this is what makes me really angry, <laughs> is that the firms don't learn. And it's either the firms aren't learning or the partners who learned their lesson many years ago mm. have retired and it's new partners thinking, how can I get more money? How can I earn more profit? So, you know, is it greed? Is it that auditors think, oh, this is not going to be me. I'm not going to fall into that trap. They yeah. think more of their skill and that they can't be subject to these biases. So what the hell do we do? Yes, and you've raised one option, which is breaking up the the accounting firms. Again. Right, again. <laughs> and, and so it, I, to the extent I, that um, there are a lot of, like, 
discussions in terms of, you know, um, regulators. The UK is definitely going down this way. So there's been at least two UK regulatory investigations, one by the sort of financial, um, by the market, financial market, one by a competition, um, government competition agency, um, sort of similar to our ACCC, and they're all pushing towards splitting out consulting and accounting firms. Yes. But, you know, how do we stop the problem from recurring again? And could we do that here in Australia? Yeah, that's an interesting question because uh, even if you split them up, there's nothing stopping them from making other acquisitions because I know PwC purchased PPP Advisory. That's one of the insolvency firms. And it, they're buying technology firms. It doesn't even matter. Even when you split technology them apart, <laughs> they're still big enough that they can just acquire something else. So unless you put actual limits on how... What they can do to expand. Can, unless you completely ban non-order services, there's no absolutely no reason for them to continue. Because I know... And even then, it's not a full solution. Because I know in... Um, in America, firms can serve as remuneration consultants. They can advise on CEO pay, and so whenever and so when there was a requirement that states that you disclose any conflicts of interest you have, if you that is if you serve as a remuneration consultant and you also provide other services, you have to disclose them. Some of these consulting firms they did break up so that they wouldn't have to be disclosed. So you didn't have to disclose this information. But I guess then they're still related parties, right? But they're still related parties, so it doesn't really fully get rid of the problem. So it's not really a useful yeah, rule. Because if you're still... Because the US has just moved to partner name disclosure, right? Yeah, yeah. the US partner so name disclosure. So here in Australia, and I'm pretty sure in the UK, we have to yeah. have names of partners. So it not just, doesn't just say PwC, it says John Smith... Um, or Jane Smith yep. is the partner that's now in the US as well to try and make yes. people feel more accountable because their name yes. is out there. Yes. Audits aren't, as we mentioned before, audits aren't a high profit margin business. No. So if you can't do consulting or provide other consulting services and you can only provide audits, yep. why would you do it as a big full It's center? not worth it, yeah. And then it would be what we see in... SMSF, which is self-managed super fund audits, where the audit is a race to the bottom. You know, you can buy a self-managed super fund audit for $600. And when you think about an accountant Mm. or an auditor's job, they usually charge to their clients about $150 to $200 an hour for a junior sort of level uh, staff member. So $600 buys you about three hours worth of work. Yeah. How do you audit... That's not a lot of assurance. (laughs) That's not a lot of assurance. So... The risk there is shortcuts. Yes. All right. So if you do have this situation where we say, okay, you provide audits only, then you're going to be looking for ways to shortcut and to have efficiency. Yeah. That's going to put that's going to put a lot of pressure on profit margin. And how are we supposed to maintain audit quality if yeah. we're doing that? Yeah. And there's really, and even then with these these low profit engagements like audits, that is, even if you force accounting firms to only do audits and have them spin off their consulting arms, then you run the risk that these audit firms are then bribed based on fees because effectively the company pays the auditor, Mm. right? So the company can just offer more money for the auditors to to sign something off that they probably shouldn't. Because we know the audits are low-balled on fees. So they put in a low bid for the fee for the audit because they know that they're going to make it back uh, in terms of cross subsidization from other consulting yes. that they might get from that client. In the UK, Grant Thornton recently suggested that the government 
should allocate audits. So, yes. you know, maybe there's some sort of common funding model or fee model. Yeah. And obviously the research shows us that the big four firms charge a premium supposedly yes. for their expertise. Yes. Um, you're an expert in this area, Nelson. Do big four firms do better audits? That's the controversy because it really depends on on the sample period you use, the sample you use. So the, the results aren't samples. consistent. The results were consistent up until about 2011. And then uh -oh. there were a handful <laughs> of papers that have come out to sort of start to question this belief. But based on the fact that... Well, the, it's been shown that these big four firms are s significantly different to these smaller firms, obviously, mm -hmm. in terms of fee premiums. So, the, so there's a difference of about 30 35% in fees. So it's higher for these bigger firms, yep. even though their audits are probably cheaper because of scale. Yep. Um, so it lends a question as to do they perform better audits? Because the idea is these firms, these auditors either provide better audits, these bigger auditors, mm -hmm. or the clients that select bigger auditors are just better reporting companies. Mm. So it is okay, a signal. Chicken and the egg sort of thing. Yes, yeah, so which came first, chicken or the egg? So there is this sort of... Actually, we shouldn't question. say that because apparently chickens, there's this meme going around on social media where chickens appear at a certain point in the timeline and millions of years earlier there are eggs related yeah. to dinosaurs. So <laughs> we should say that's chicken and the point. egg, but that's a bit of a side thing. Yeah. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> so, so, so basically... But then, how, when we're looking at research, yes. how do we measure audit quality? So there is lots of research on audits and audit quality and whether yes. industry specialists have better audit quality, whether big four firms have audit, yes. better audit quality, whether companies based in capital cities have audit, better audit yes. quality or whether it's certain partners... So how do they measure audit quality? Okay, so there are a few widely used constructs. So in uh, in research, especially in auditing, that's archival, meaning it's based on historical data. We need publicly observable information. So you can only look at publicly yeah. listed companies. So one, yeah, most cases. Uh, so one measure is the opinion. Mm -hmm. So do they issue a what we call a going concern opinion, which mm -hmm. says that the company may not. How will have issues mm -hmm. surviving in the medium to, to, to short, long, short. Well, longer than the 12, in the yeah. 12 months from the day of the report. Yes. Period. So that's one measure. So we predict which firms should get a bad opinion, a going concern opinion, mm -hmm. and whether or not particular auditors issue those, those okay. opinions. But then, of course, you get the issue that not all firms are going through financial difficulty, so they shouldn't get it in the first place. Yeah. Doesn't mean the firm is bad, right. it just means the auditor. Now, Doesn't there is some issue. sort of other measure about something called, is it discretionary accruals? Discretionary accruals, yes. So this predicts the amount of accruals beyond what is considered normal based on the company's accounting. Oh, God. And so, how do you figure out what's normal? That's the big question. Right? What is considered <laughs> normal? So the benchmark we have is all firms within the same industry in the same year, they should have a similar percentage of accruals mm -hmm. to their total assets. And so then we adjust a company's accruals for what is expected yes and then we have this unexpected yes. so it's really all estimation yeah so we, accruals we know are things like accounts receivable accounts payable and we argue that excessive levels of accounts receivables may reflect sales that will never be collected in cash mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that's our second so measure. we're guessing right it's a guess because it's it's models uh, that are estimated that are predicting what it should be. Mm -hmm. It's based on this optimal percentage, right? So um, if Commonwealth so Bank has 10% accruals... We could be completely wrong on this. We could be completely wrong. <laughs> so say Commonwealth Bank has 10% of, of their accruals <laughs> as a percentage of its total assets. If Westpac have 15%, 
then the argument could be made that this 5% is excess mm. and it's, it reflects sales that or revenues that weren't recorded and they're not correct. Okay. And what's the other measure? And the last one... Is this earnings response? Oh, there are always response coefficients, but that's more a market perception. Oh, okay. All right. That is, does the stock market respond to the earnings? So okay. So more, what's the last one? Um, if they respond more, then it typically means that uh, they believe the, the numbers. Mm-hmm. The last measure is what we call restatements. Ooh. That's when we change what's when there's a change in accounting figures between different years because mm-hmm. in a, in or virtually all countries with financial if you make a mistake we have what we call comparatives right yeah so in 2016 for instance you'll disclose the 2016 financial year report and the 2015 numbers mm-hmm. as comparatives so let's say in the 2017 reports you've got 2017 and 16 so if 16 changes from the last so if your closing report, balance from 2016 last year is different from the opening 2016 yes. balance now, those restatements, do they have to go through a regulator? Report those changes later on. If they're, usually, if they're immaterial. Okay. Um, if they're material enough, then you probably have to make a disclosure and release new sets of financials. But if they're small restatements, typically they... Would companies ever admit that they want that they have a restatement? Or they do it all the time? I don't know how frequent uh, this the is. The frequency is very low. So we're talking in... Because in, in I know in the US... sort of 5%, even less In the US, companies. if you make a mistake in your accounts, you have to submit a particular form... That has your restatement on it. That that acts as a market signal of we made a mistake. Yeah. Um, but I guess, you know, if you've made a mistake and you don't even realise, yeah. it could sit there in your financial statements for five years. Yes. And that's the thing about misstatements, right, or restatements. Are they because of accidents, just mm-hmm. poor accounting sort of uh, choices? Someone pressed the wrong button. Press, press the wrong button, add an extra zero, or is it actual fraud? If it's fraud, then that's... Illegal. Mm. It has to be reported. But if it's just like, oh, it's an error in the accounting. And then why didn't the order to pick that up? Yeah. Well, then it's the question of who. <laughs> so the companies fault was that it? have more restatements, theoretically, we would imagine have lower audit quality. Yes. So okay. you, you would argue that if uh, whichever year there was a change and there was a restated accounting number, it is in part due to the auditor and their mistake. All right. Because it's discovered later on, right? So to sum up. Yes. There is no way to guarantee that big four firms provide higher quality audits. We have no. a lot of conjectures that we yes. they charge more. That charge that extra charge could be reputation for being big four. It's sending a signal of trustworthiness yes. that we're we're using the top auditors. Yes. Um, or it could be that they actually do a better job. That perhaps because they have global methodology or more funds to put into research, yep. that maybe there's some way that they're better or not. And that makes it really difficult when we come to the decision of, well, how do we fix this independence issue? And how do we fix this audit quality issue? And I know that here at UTS, Professor Professor Stephen Taylor is one of the world's, I guess, audit research experts. Would we call him that? Yeah. And he writes a lot of commentary on this area. And I don't even know if, you know, he has a solution because I know that he did some research that showed that I think with Caitlin Ruddock, Dr. Yeah. Caitlin Ruddock, that non-audit services didn't act, more non-audit services didn't affect audit quality. The research to date is largely in, in favour of non-audit services being having no effect. Having no audit. effect. If anything, it makes it more efficient because you if you do both. That seems counterintuitive, right? Seems Especially when these companies collapse, it's almost always because of these. Grey yeah. areas around independence. I think it's the extremes. But again... So 90% of companies are still doing the right thing. Yeah. Their auditors are doing the right thing. It's just a few. There are these extremes and then there... And so the research isn't the really case, helping us. Well, even if half the cases show that, you know, there was a corporate collapse and there was not 
audit services being provided. Who who's to say that the non audit services caused mm. you know a, a misstated accounts yeah. or accounts that end up being fraudulent that led to the collapse? So it's really so. There's no easy answer here. I'm there's sorry, no folks. Answer. We do not have <laughs> the solution to the audit quality and auditor independence uh, no. problem. Not on, not on <laughs> this sure podcast, the, uh, at least. I'm sure the uh, <laughs> International Auditing Standards Board was listening in to, to see what our insights were. Um, I've heard of different... Oh, look, how long ago was this? Maybe I've been teaching audit for 16 years or maybe 14 years. Yeah. I think 10 years ago I used to have my students do an assignment based on a white paper that was released about mm-hmm. that governments would allocate audits and that firms would pay for a certain level of assurance. So if you wanted to signal to the market that you were really, really great, you'd pay for a higher level of assurance and an insurance company would essentially, not the government, but an insurance company would pick the auditor because then if you found something goes wrong, the audit report with the insurance company, the insurance company would then go back to the audit firm and say, what did you do wrong? Yeah, so where does liability come into this? That, that's, that's, I don't know, but that was a really interesting idea and I used to get students to write a report on whether that would work or not. Um, and the question becomes, you know, then what sort of signalling mechanism do you yeah. have? If you're a really great company and you're already really ethical and your customers believe that, do you need to buy high levels of assurance in your audit or could your own business reputation mean that you could get away with a lower level true. of assurance That's and so true. therefore you could make a trade-off between spending on audit yes and the signal that the audit opinion gives you yes. and the insurance company is then responsible for finding the right auditor to do your job yeah. or to do the audit and then making sure that they're following the auditing standards appropriately well, that would be interesting right it would actually because it would increase the cost insurance companies are experts at pricing risk yeah absolutely so and, and it would introduce a third party which in Would they many be too ways, greedy, though? I don't know. <laughs> the in greed ways, of insurance companies. Yeah, I don't know if insurance companies want to go into that space, especially, you know, with the size of certain lawsuits you'd get. Yeah, and, and the financial, um, the Royal Commission into Financial Services doesn't make that appealing. And the question I used to ask my students was, well, if we could get insurance companies to do this, why can't we get governments to do it? Absolutely, right? yes. And... When, uh, and I know somebody that worked on the IBM census, so the Australian census and and IBM, and I said to that person, why doesn't the government just do all of this census IT work themselves? And they said, they don't have the money to hire these sorts of people Mm. who are that smart for short-term projects, right? Because you'd need to hire them for longer terms Mm. to give them job stability and promotion. And, And the government couldn't afford to pay these people what they're worth and so the government can't attract the best talent Mm. to do something so to make this work this insurance idea or the government allocating auditors you'd need to have the best actuarial staff the best people who understand audit firms who understand psychology who understand the market to make these allocations and i don't know if the government would ever want to take that risk yeah, it doesn't seem They're like it's in risk their interest. <laughs> it doesn't seem like in their interests, especially most governments, especially if they're if more conservative, away, they don't yeah. want to increase the size of government and sort of... And if you take choice away from big business... Yeah, they'll argue it's a nanny state. And even to that extent, would you? how can you prove that the auditor that you appoint to the company is uh, actually doing a better job? 
So it, <sighs> so we have no answers. There are no answers. But there's lots of, I guess, problems in the question. And uh, for those people who follow me on YouTube and you might know Dr. Philip, or not Dr. Philip Wong because he's doing his PhD right now, but Philip Wong who's on who's tetracarbon on um, YouTube, one of the interesting things he said is that it's possible that our big four firms are too big to fail. Like we can't afford to Absolutely, lose yeah. a big four firm. So we can't prosecute one of them for poor audit behaviour. And the ASIC inspection reports about the quality of audits is pretty scathing. They said yes. one, Medcraft said that in his outgoing speech from ASIC, that one in four audits is not of the appropriate quality. Yeah, and 25%. he's refusing, ASIC refuses to put names Yes. Names and clients, so they're not naming names because they're worried that that's going to drive people away from the profession, but we're not seeing any improvement. So somebody has to take a hard line here, and maybe it's the part of audit firms to speak up and say, hey, we were inspected, and we're going to disclose, and we're going to do better. Absolutely. Or that transparency. Because we don't want to have to have like an Enron-type situation to drive change and improvement in the industry i don't think i'm pretty sure i don't want to have like massive corporate collapse to have to kick the ass of politicians and lawmakers to try and solve these problems absolutely so that's a question and the, and the big four firms you know the question of too big to fail you know we can't lose a big well, four firm well it's entirely firm. true because then there's a whole issue of market concentration if one more collapses presumably well, the remaining three get even bigger and then there's concerns of oligopolistic pricing, <laughs> okay. whatever that Say that was. again. Say that no, again. Olig- oligopolistic? 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 Something like that. <laughs> pricing. And so that doesn't help the the, the sort of narrative either because then we start arguing that these audit services become too expensive. Can we split firms, big firms, into smaller firms? They'd never go for it, and can I we, think can we convince them to demerge? Well, these firms are too big already, to, and to re, they can resist that kind of pressure. Uh, if there was eight of them, you could probably. I can remember the big eight. Yeah, I, could, I, I so I joined Coopers and Lybrand when it was the big six. Yeah, and then PwC Price Waterhouse and Coopers and Lybrand joined together to form PwC, and we were the big five. Yeah, then we lost Arthur Anderson after HIH and Enron. Yeah, and we're now in the big four, and it's been long time. Oh, 16 years. Since 2002. So 16 yeah, or so, so years. Yeah, so 16 years of the big four. And Grant Thornton and BDO and our edging, second tier. Yeah, they're edging their way. But they feel like it's impossible to break into that, you know, to it become be. the big five. Give Grant them. Thornton actually in the UK said they're no longer pitching for top 100 UK listed firms for audits because while they might be shortlisted, they never win when they go up against PwC, KPMG, EY, and Deloitte. So they actually said, look, we're just, don't invite us to submit a tender. We're just not even going to play. We're going to concentrate in our part of the market that we can dominate and we have our expertise in. I don't think anybody, I don't think any of the second tier firms really have aspirational goals to break into the big four and turn it into the big five. Mm. Well, I think we've chatted on enough. Yeah. Well, you've heard me rant on enough <laughs> about audits. We've talked about a lot of uh, a lot of accounting today, surprisingly. But uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. And um, if you're listening to us through a podcasting service, we'd love it if you're on iTunes to leave a review about what you think. If you have any questions, please drop us a line. Otherwise, we will chat to you next week. Okay. See ya.